Science is the great antidote to the poison of enthusiasm and superstition. Hi, I'm Juliette Selgren, and this is my podcast, The Great Antidote, named for Adam Smith, brought to you by Liberty Fund. To learn more, visit www.adamsmithworks.org. Welcome back. We talk a lot about the civil society aspect of classical liberalism on this podcast, but who actually does that part? What does it look like? Uh, today on May 10th, 2023, it is my great pleasure to be talking to Brian Hooks, who I've known my entire life, disclaimer. He's the chairman and CEO of Stand Together, a philanthropic community that works with more than hundreds of business leaders and philanthropists to empower people to realize their unique potential and to help every person rise. Stand Together was founded by Charles Koch. Brian and Koch wrote a book together called Believe in People, Bottom-Up Solutions for a Top-Down World. I want to talk about all of that and more today. He is also the president of the Charles Koch Foundation. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Juliet. It's really fun to be here. Appreciate you having me. So uh, before we get started, I want to ask you a bit of a personal question, maybe. What is the most important thing that people my age or my generation should know that we don't? Maybe this isn't a personal question. I think it's a personal question. Depends on where we take it, right? Uh, what's the, the most important thing that people your age should know, but you don't? Probably uh, probably not to listen to people my age. <laughs> not, to, not to be constrained by, um, by what, what the people that came before you can imagine, uh, but to really kind of go after it. Uh, no, let, let me let me give you a, a little bit more of an answer to that. I think it's it's um, an important question, especially right now, given all of the different and and pretty new challenges that people are facing. Um, I, I think that uh, that the the thing to really avoid is uh, cynicism, is being cynical about what the future can can be. Um, I know the sort of stereotype is that uh, that people who are younger tend to be idealists. Um, that wasn't actually my experience. Um, there's plenty of idealism, um, you know, when you're in college or, or younger than that. But there's also quite a lot of cynicism, the idea that you look at the challenges or the way that the world is right now and you just say, look, there's very little that I can do. And so you focus on the downside. And I think that's the the biggest risk um, because that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So for what it's worth, uh, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but I would say uh, don't be cynical about what you can accomplish and uh, and and don't be discouraged by the, the challenges or to see them as opportunities to to do incredible things. And I should disregard your earlier advice and actually listen to you about this point. Well, I think I say take it with a salt, right? I mean, that's my answer, but yeah, come up with a better one. No, it's a great answer. I think it's it, it's particularly relevant. I mean, as someone standing in the field of young people that a lot of older generations don't understand or are trying to understand, um, I kind of see this and the the old notion of the youngest generation being the idealists doesn't really fly anymore. And so, I think you see a lot of problems with connection through holding this idea still because it's not really true. So the fact that you see it, I mean, to me, that means a lot. That means we're moving in the right direction, even if we would rather my generation be idealists, you know? 
Yeah, and no, I think that's right. I'm, I'm, I have to confess, I'm having a hard time focusing because I'm trying not to take personally the idea that I've just been characterized as the older generation. But I, I, I'll, I'll be okay <laughs> with it. So we can, we can move on. You're, you're, you're not old. <laughs> you're, you are, you are wise, but you <laughs> are still you're full of youth. <laughs> 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 All right. Okay. So you've worked with Charles Koch for years now. How did you two meet? And did you take any lessons away from the encounter, if any? Yes, I um, I think that I'm one of the, the most fortunate people in the world, uh, the chance to have spent so much time and continue to spend so much time learning from Charles. I actually just came back from Wichita yesterday, uh, where I got the chance to spend some time and, and talk through some, some ideas with him. Um, and every time I do, I, I learn something, which is incredible. Uh, I met Charles 23 years ago now. Um, Right out of college, coming out of the University of Michigan, I was um, thrilled to get a job at a wonderful organization that you know something about, uh, the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. And of course, Charles was a founder of Mercatus back in the late 70s. And we had a board meeting two weeks into my, uh, my job there, my first job out of college. And while, uh, you know, you come out of college sort of fired up about the ideas that I, I got to work on at Mercatus, I was also very conscious that I really had no idea what I was doing in this first job out of school. And so I thought to myself, you know, if I just keep my head down and I kind of learn and, and uh, give, give myself some time, I'm going to be okay. Um, but of course, two weeks in, I bump into Charles at this board meeting and um, he immediately read the situation for what it was. Uh, uh, newbie at the organization uh, that that didn't know what he was doing, but but was glad to be there. And I remember him shaking hands and introducing himself and immediately setting me at ease. Um, he was just the most gracious guy uh, you could ever imagine. Um, and his passion, you know, and, I, and I've learned a lot more about this now over the past uh, couple of decades, his passion is helping to unlock the potential in people and really getting people as fired up about the principles of a free society as he is and seeing the, the potential to apply those principles to make a difference in people's lives. And, and the other thing you learn about Charles is he doesn't waste a second of his day. And so even in that first handshake, you know, he was working, he was, he was um, helping to, um, to do what he's passionate about and, and bring more people into, into these efforts. So I'm forever grateful for the opportunity that that he gave me, even from that first day that, that we met. And since then, you know, got a chance to sit across the board table from him at Mercatus for about 14 years. Um, came on board to run the Charles Koch Foundation about 10 years ago, a little less than 10 years ago. And now, um, you know, getting to, to lead the organization stand together that he founded. It's, um, you know, it's 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 amazing. I want to talk to you about Stand Together. Um, I'm not an expert about philanthropic organizations, but from what I know, it seems that Stand Together is kind of different from usual charities. Uh, reading about, on the website and also in Believe in People, it seems clear that everything that the organization does, everything that even everything stemming from Charles Koch does, from how he explains it in the beginning of the book, is that Everything is derived from principles, and every single action is related to this set of principles. So can you kind of break down what these principles are for us? Sure. Um, 
But you're right. You know, when you when you think about stand together, it is hard to put us in a box. Um, we talk about ourselves as a philanthropic community, but but even that doesn't really do it justice. I I think about stand together as an organization that is in the solutions business. We're looking for solutions to some of the hardest problems in society, and we're bringing the everything we've got, everything that that our partners can bring to the table to bear in in trying to solve those those problems. So whether that's the challenges in education or the challenges in the economy, the challenges in the criminal justice system or the way that people relate to each other when it comes to, you know, their their freedom of speech, all of these challenges that are so important to people realizing their potential and contributing in, in the lives of others, finding success in their own lives by contributing in the lives of others. There's these barriers out there. And if we can find ways to break through those those barriers, bring solutions to those problems, you know, there's no telling what what people can accomplish. And so that's what that's what we do. And and we do it through philanthropy. We do it through uh, any type of investment that can make a difference in society. But the way that we approach those those problems and the solutions that we bring uh, do tend to be pretty different from the standard way that people approach uh, challenges. I think about it like this. I, I, a lot of well-intentioned organizations see people who are struggling as problems to be solved. Um, and so they 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 work, um, they bring solutions that sort of mirror that way of understanding things. At Stand Together, we look at those people who are struggling as the potential source of the solutions. And so we truly believe in doing everything we can to empower people to uh to, to find new and better ways to, to overcome challenges and in doing so to transform the way that society tackles tackles big problems. And you're exactly right that the secret sauce there, the 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 way you do that is by applying a certain set of core principles. We talk about them as the principles of human progress, but but what they are are enlightenment ideas or classical liberal principles, which I know you're very familiar with. Um, we apply those principles to solve the problems that are holding people back in society. And so, Juliet, the way that I the way that I talk to people about this, the way that I think about them, I think is going to be familiar to you. Um, I go back to one of my favorite economists, um, someone I, I believe that that you've had a chance to meet, uh, Deirdre McCloskey. Do you know you know Deirdre? Yeah. Hey, listeners, go listen to my interview with her. There you go. So I won't I won't try to. Uh, one up Deirdre and explaining the way that she thinks about these principles, but it's been really, it's made a huge impression on me. You know, Deirdre talks about the great enrichment and she's got this wonderful chart in her book. And I imagine some of your listeners are chart people. I, I worked at Mercatus for 14 years, so I got to be a, somebody who gets excited about charts, right? Mm -hmm. But she calls it the hockey stick of human history. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Oh Yeah. And so you, you have like Thomas Jefferson and like everyone who and Jesus on one end and then you have us on the other end. And we're like years apart in terms of vertical growth. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you, you've, you've got this this um, this this graph with um, with the well-being uh, sort of on the, the Y axis and then time on the X axis. And what you see is this basically flat line for thousands of years of human history where there's essentially zero progress, right? You little, little blips here and there, but, but basically it's a flat line. 
Um, and then all of a sudden the line shoots up uh, like a hockey stick. And you see this incredible progress that begins, you know, basically just over 200 years ago. And the progress is not a little bit. It's like mind blowing relative to where humanity had been for all of its existence. And so the difference between the before times, right, before that that hockey stick, when people lived basically in abject poverty, um, what they had to look forward to was some combination of misery uh, or violence, and their lives were short, uh, and they didn't really have a chance to get engaged and help people improve their lives. That that was most of human history. And then all of a sudden, this hockey stick happens, and there's this inflection point where where we're on this trajectory of improved well-being on basically every dimension not just income but um the 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 stuff of a good life um and we've been on that trajectory ever since and when what deirdre explains right is the inflection point's not random um what changes in society is that societies across the world begin to discover these core principles these enlightenment ideas, these classical liberal principles, we call them in the, in the book, the principles of human progress. And they start to implement them. And, and of course, they implement them imperfectly. And, 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 and the struggle now of, of society is how do you do a better job of implementing these principles so we can continue to realize progress going forward. But these, these core principles, principles like dignity, right, which we take for granted today, but is a profound idea uh, at the time, the notion that just by being born a person, you have an inherent dignity that requires the respect of others. Um, this changes the world. And when we, when you organize society around a principle like dignity, you see tremendous benefits to all people. Uh, and, you know, there's, a, there's hundreds of these principles of human progress, principles like equal rights, right? When everyone is equal before the law and the law respects certain inalienable rights, property rights, uh, 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 the, 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 the liberty of each individual and so on. These are the societies that do better than those that violate this notion of equal rights. Um, anyway, we could, we could go on and on about, about the principles, you know, these principles, but, but the classical liberal principles are what's responsible for this huge improvement in human well-being um, over time. And so those are the principles that, underpin everything that we do at Stand Together. So when we make an investment in an organization or a strategy, a project, um, we do it because we see those principles as core to the operations and core to the, the way that those organizations that we support, we interact with, we partner with uh, work. I'm going to leave the graph explaining to you because if you think about the way you explain that graph versus how I explain that graph, there's no competition there. <laughs> well, I've learned, I've learned from some, some of the some of the best uh, French classical liberals uh, around. So when it comes to charts. Yeah. And it shows. Um, so I think important to this conversation is how you label yourself. Um, are you a libertarian or a classical liberal? And what how do you define what you classify as? How do I label myself? I've, I've always been sort of a contrarian, and so I'll give you kind of a contrarian answer. Um, Great. When I, when I think about what's important to me and, and what I hope people see in me, I think about labels like father, um, husband, colleague, friend, um, somebody who loves music. This, is, this to me is the stuff of life, and 
And I think I'm not alone in that. I think um, society does better when we lead with those things that are sort of most meaningful with respect to our interactions with others. Um, now, to, to be more direct and, and answer your question, but I, but I think I think what, what I said is relevant to the answer. If you if you think of if you're asking me um, what are the what is a framework that helps me to understand the world, um, then then you know I'm a proud classical liberal, um, and that's a that's a label that I'm very comfortable with, and I, and I think is the best way to describe me. But um, but I do think it's important to say you know in a world where where people want to really search hard to find those things that differentiate us and 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 cause us to be different you know leading with ideology leading with political um descriptions like libertarian for instance those things are super important but they tend not to be the most relevant uh or the or or frankly the most important uh to our lives I think this is a great distinction you've made, and we're going to get into it a little bit, um, the first part in a second. But I kind of wanted to ask you on the more political side, um, a lot of classical liberals in the policy space especially are decently worried or concerned about the future, especially of liberalism and the liberal structure of our society. Um, you work in kind of a different space that runs parallel to this. So do you see what these people see and are you worried or do you think you have a different perspective on it from where you stand? Well, I, I'm, I'm very worried about where we are as a country and uh, where we're headed as, as a society. And I, and I do think that, um, that, you know, having a, a set of principles that can guide your sense for how things are going and, and importantly, where they, they can go, where, where they should go is, uh, is critical. It's crucial. You know, if you, if, if, uh, what is the saying? If, uh, if you don't know where you're going, then any, any path will do. And so let's get, let's get back to this issue of classical liberalism. Cause I do think that those are the principles that need to guide the country going forward. And the further that our country drifts from those core principles, the worse off people's lives are going to be. I think there's no question in my mind that that's the case. So I think about classical liberalism as having those principles that that we just talked about at its core, but the the most um, operative principles for our society from from a classical liberal perspective to me are dignity, the notion that every person has a gift, and that the project of society is to help those pe people to discover, develop, and then apply the gifts that they have in a way that allows themselves to be successful by help, by helping others to succeed. That's how you grow the pie in society. That's how, that's how we see that upward trajectory on that hockey stick of human history. Um, and then the, the, the second most important principle to me in terms of the, the project of society when it comes to classical liberalism is this notion of openness, that, uh, that the only way progress occurs is if we're open to new ideas, new people, new ways of doing things, uh, and so on. And so if you think about um, where we are as a country, as a society, and, and the concerns that people, I think, have and should have, and certainly I have, it's that we're moving uh, away from those core principles um, when we confront the problems uh, that we have in society. And so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at this, and, 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 and you can decide if you want to unpack further. But 
I think that there is a very clear competition for the future of our country shaping up right now. And it's not the competition that most people see at the surface. It's not between, say, the right and the left. Uh, it's not between political parties, Republicans and Democrats, but it's between people who see uh, the, the, that the way that we solve our problems is by leaning into these, these classical liberal principles, these principles of, of human progress, that when we confront problems, we have to further embrace these principles as part of the solution. And those who see uh, the, uh, the opposite. Right. In the book, we talk about this as the right way to solve problems is by empowering people from the bottom up versus seeking power over people from the top down. And I think that's the most important competition that's happening right now. Uh, and if we um, if we can rally the country behind these classical liberal principles as the ways to solve our problems, we are going to see a future that none of us can even imagine right now. It's going to be so, it, it can be so good. But if we make the mistake and kind of revert back to that top-down approach that characterized so much of human history, that flat line in, that, in, in Deirdre's chart, then we are in real trouble and progress is not guaranteed. And we need to take that challenge really seriously. One of the reasons why I asked you about how you label yourself, your orientation is because not only is Stand Together different from philanthropic organizations, but for a classical liberal leaning organization, it doesn't just give money to improve economic freedom, although that's part of the bigger picture, right? Um, you don't just fight to end cronyism or trim down on regulation, but there's the investment on civil society, which I think necessarily ties into the first part of your response, which is how you label yourself as not in the political sphere. You're, you're a father, you're whatever you are. Um, and so, I don't know, this This kind of became evident to me in the book is how you fight to free people from, say, drug addiction. That changes how they label themselves, not politically. I said politically a little silly there. Um, but in terms of, like, who they are, it's it's using those classical liberal principles to change the labels people hold for themselves at the fundamental level of identity. Um, and then... As a consequence, they stop being trapped in a life of crime and so much more. Um, it seems to me, and tell me if I'm wrong and tell me your take on this, that what Stand Together does is actually embody the full spectrum of classical liberal values. What do you think? Well, I think that's very perceptive, and, I, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that because that's absolutely what we strive to do. Um, and I, I think this is really important, right? The to me, classical liberalism is a a philosophy, a, a, a theory of how people can live well together. So it's a holistic um, understanding of the good life. And a, a really important part of that good life is how individuals relate to uh, governments. And so that's where libertarianism comes in, right? Libertarianism is a, is a political philosophy that is um, that's that specifically speaks to the role of the state in, in an individual's life. Super, super important, um, and one of the most important aspects of that relationship between the individual and the state is realized in the economy, 
right? And so you you mentioned uh, free market uh, organizations, economic freedom. This is essential to the good life that we have a society characterized by economic freedom. And the more you see economic freedom in a society, the better people's lives are. The, the more you see uh, government encroaching on that economic freedom and limiting the scope of the market and the ability for people to voluntarily uh, interact in ways that make them both better off, you know, I mean, it, it's sort of obvious what follows from that, right? People don't live uh, as good of a life as they could. And so, so the work that we do at Stand Together um, does try to be a holistic embodiment of, of the classical liberal philosophy, um, including the way that people relate to the government. So we have a lot of work in public policy to improve public policy, um, including uh, economic policy uh, and, and advocating for much greater economic freedom. I, you know, I, I, I believe that Stand Together and our organizations are the largest supporters of groups that are working to advance economic freedom. And, and that's some of the most important work that we support. But we have to go beyond that. We have to do more than, than that if we want to really do all we can to realize these principles of human progress, these classical liberal principles, to empower people to live as well as they possibly can together. And, and so, as you know, right, a huge part of the classical liberal project is to better understand civil society. Uh, and that's, a, that's a, a, a big part of what Stand Together does as well, is try to find new and better ways to apply these principles uh, in the way that people interact uh, in civil society. So whether that's within business, right, the more that businesses can truly em, em, embody these principles and empower their employees to realize their potential in a way that creates value for the company and, and that they can share in that value, well, the better off they're going to be, the better off society is going to be. So we've got a lot of work to uh, to do that within business. And then within within uh, just the, the daily interactions of people in communities, say, um, the more that we can see these principles characterize the way that, that people interact uh, in civil society, the way that we, we help people who are struggling in communities, say, with violence or with addiction or with poverty, um, if we can help them by applying these, these classical liberal principles, these principles of human progress, you know, again, we're going to see our society move, move closer to those ideals uh, and, and everybody's going to benefit. So anyway, that, that was a long-winded answer, but I'm, I'm <laughs> thrilled to hear you uh, pick up on what we're trying to accomplish at Stand Together because that's spot on. I, I just want to say that it's kind of a relief for me especially being young and seeing that so many classical liberals are concerned about my future, my, my, my generation, because at some point you all are going to be gone because that's just a fact of human life. Um, and so it's kind of a relief in a sense that aside from the political, like, let's say you win the political, then what? And obviously the political battle, as you were saying, is kind of an important aspect, but unless you have an idea of how to cultivate the future and what the future, what to do to make the future look good. It almost seems as though you don't have any ammo in the political sphere because you don't have a purpose that, I mean, maybe that sounds a little intense, but um, well, that's think, kind of, I, go I, ahead. Think, I think you're right though, to, to pick up on the interrelationship here. I mean, one of the things that we, that we talk about at stand together is this idea that, 
you know, these are hard and complex problems in society. And there's no single solution to any any of these problems. You know, um, you know, you you look at the problems in the economy, right? You you probably know all of this, but the the things that focus my attention are things like 60% of Americans say that they live paycheck to paycheck. That when you've got, you know, the inflation report is coming out this morning. I haven't seen it yet, but it was supposed to be just shy of five percent uh, in inflation annualized. And and what is going to happen if that's the case this morning is is that people are going to celebrate, like, wow, we're only at five percent inflation. But that's crazy that we're celebrating five percent inflation. That's a really big problem in the lives of people in the economy especially when 60% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, you know, these are problems that are, that are leading to just extraordinarily challenges, extraordinary challenges in our society. You know, you look at, you look at things like life expectancy, where today in the United States of America, the, the most prosperous country in the history of the world, you know, life expectancy is on the decline and it's a, it's a multi-year trend. Um, these are big, big problems. And, None of them have a single solution. And so part of what needs to happen to solve these big problems is we need the political system to get more in line with uh, the role that it, it should play in a free society. Uh, and we have to work really hard. This needs to be a, a, a big priority for those of us who care about the, the project of society. But if that's all we do, and if we only focus politically, we're never going to solve these problems. And so we've got to take a comprehensive approach. You've got to bring everything that you can to problems like this. So politics is really important, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. So with that in mind, what are some of the biggest challenges, either in the political sphere or not, that faces stand together and all of its partners in the future? What would get in the way of Stand Together's mission? Well... There's a lot. <laughs> I guess maybe like the one biggest one. Well, let me let me if there is the, one. Let me give you um, two, and then you, we can we can we can go where, wherever you want to go with the conversation. I think the biggest one, or, or the first one, I would give you is you know sort of the the notion that Thomas Jefferson put forward that the the tendency in a in a society is for government to grow and for liberty to to fade. Um, and so this is a, a, a continual struggle, right? We we never we never uh, we never declare success here. We have to realize that the the project is always one of um, confronting that dynamic, and that the more that we can see, you know, human flourishing and human freedom outpace the sort of tendency for people to want to seek power over others. Um, the better we do. But as soon as we feel like we've done well, we need to double down. We need to, to continue our efforts. The second one is, again, one that you're you're familiar with because um, because I know your mom. And, 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 and so you've 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 gone through this before uh, is the public choice problem. Right. Mm -hmm. You have um, you have well organized special interests who have a who benefit greatly from facilitating that dynamic. You know, you mentioned cronyism earlier. This is a this is a major problem in in the way that society uh, works. And that those who pay the cost of that are are dispersed across uh, across society and 
you know, it's hard for any one person to be able to kind of marshal the resources and the the, the focus to take on those concentrated interests. Um, and so, look, these are these are just the dynamics. This is this is part of human nature. It's part of the way that that things work. Um, so these aren't unique to stand together, but these are challenges in society. And what we've tried to do through our organization is counteract those dynamics by bringing, you know, hundreds, as you mentioned in the introduction, hundreds of the, the country's most successful business leaders, philanthropic leaders, civil society leaders, social entrepreneurs, bringing all of them together under this umbrella of Stand Together so that we can um, we can make progress even in the face of those challenging dynamics. The book is full of inspiring stories of people who are making positive changes in their communities and societies. Um, and it's it's essentially a book about the power of civil society, of helping people, right, unlock their full potential to use your and Charles Koch's words. Um, so what, I guess, what are some of your favorite stories from the book or just generally of these sort of bottom-up solutions in our civil society? Well, you know, this is a hard question for me to answer. We we support literally a couple thousand different organizations every year. And every single one of them is an extraordinary story. Um, so there's lots of, of, of examples. It's It's, you know, once you kind of, once you adopt this paradigm, this notion that everybody has a gift and that if society is organized in a way that empowers them to, to discover and, and realize that gift, then once you see the world through that lens, you basically see these stories everywhere, right? You see these incredible solutions to these problems all over, all over the place. And so in the, in the, the book, we tell, um, we tell a handful of stories to illustrate that principle in action. Um, but the book was written three years ago. And so there's lots more examples, many, many other stories uh, uh, to tell. Uh, let me, I'll, I'll share a, a, a couple quick ones. And again, we can go, go wherever you, you want to go with the conversation. But um, we're, uh, we're, we're working with a group called the Phoenix. And we tell the Phoenix's story in, in the book. The Phoenix is one of these groups that really embraces these principles of human progress to tackle a big problem in society. In this case, it's the problem of addiction. You know, we, we live in a, a country today where over 100,000 people uh, died in the last 12 months because of drug overdoses alone. So this is a huge problem. The Phoenix doesn't see people who struggle as broken and deficient. They see them as people with a gift. And so they approach the challenge of addiction by applying that the, the, that principle of dignity and, and the others that we've talked about. And so the Phoenix has uh, success rates that are off the charts, twice as good as the best clinical programs. And I think this is just a, another way of um, another illustration, another example of Deirdre McCloskey's hockey stick of human history, right? We see tremendous results in solving a problem like addiction when you apply these principles of human progress. So we tell, I think we tell the story of Scott Strode and the Phoenix um, in, in the book, but what's happened since is that we've connected the Phoenix with artists, with musicians, and with people in the music industry who are passionate about solving this problem. And know, you know, hundreds, thousands of, of people uh, collectively who have struggled with, with addiction. And so when they see a solution like the Phoenix, they want to shout it from the rooftops. Or in their case, they want to, you know, scream into their microphones on the stage. 
And so we've hooked up the Phoenix with rock stars and, and others in the music industry in order to get the word out and launched a, an effort called One Million Strong, um, which you can you can check out online at one million strong.com. And uh and it's it's incredible what happens when you when you pair up these seemingly unlikely collaborators to make a huge difference in society. And so the Phoenix is now on track to reach a million people, a million people who would benefit from applying these principles in their lives to help them address the problem that they're struggling with. And if they do that, and, and when they do that, I should say, because they're on track, uh, that'll make them one of the largest addiction recovery programs in the country. And it's going to be amazing because it's going to help a lot of people at a time that a lot of people are struggling. But what's really going to be incredible about what the Phoenix does is they're going to be this, this shining light, this, this guide star for how to solve problems in society. They're going to help people to change the way that they think about how to approach big problems not from the top down, not sort of by going to the experts from afar and telling people what to do, because that doesn't work. We know that because that's how most addiction recovery programs try to solve the problem, but rather empowering people from the bottom up, uh, even and especially those who have struggled, people like Scott, who leads the Phoenix and, and has struggled himself with addiction, and betting on people uh, and applying these principles of human progress to get outsized results and solve problems. So anyway, you can tell, I mean, there's, there's, but there's hundreds of stories like that uh, for groups that we work with. And the more that we can think creatively about how do we supercharge those solutions, like in this case, hooking them up with rock stars, um, I think the more that we can, we can truly approach and tackle some of these really big problems in society. So I, I, well, you get me started, I can tell lots of stories, but, um, but, but. But I think um, I think the core lesson from all of them is going to be that one. Well, that fills me with optimism. So that's great. Um, so I guess orienting it towards me a little more in my generation. What can I, a poor student just starting out in the world, do to participate in this civil society that you're building that is necessary for our society to flourish? Well, remember what I said at the beginning of our conversation, right? Take take any advice that you get from uh, from people uh, with a grain of salt, because your ideas are going to be uh, at least as good and, and likely better than uh, than what you hear from me. But um, but but I think, look, the 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 whole point of what we're doing, right? The whole point of society is to help people to live uh, better lives together. And and what is that? I mean, at, at its core, that's, you know, individuals interacting every day and doing all of those seemingly small things that add up to that really big project of society. And so, Juliette, I mean, what you're doing with this podcast is extraordinary, right? <laughs> um, Thank you. This is your initiative. If somebody had come to to, to me when I, when I was uh, in college and said, I have the solution. Here's what you need to do in order to contribute to civil society, do a podcast. I would have crashed and burned. I mean, put aside the fact that podcasts didn't exist then. But but you get the point, right? That 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 was it. That's not my gift. That's not that wouldn't have been an appropriate solution for me. But you clearly have a gift for this and so what you're doing is is I think what everybody should take to heart. You know, you're you're looking inside yourself. You're saying, "Hey, who am I?" 
what am I passionate about? What gifts do I have that can fulfill my life? Uh, and while while that's happening, it also contributed in the lives of others. And, you know, just start doing it. And what you do today won't be what you do tomorrow because, you know, you'll discover new things along that journey. But the more that every single person sees themselves as a person who has value and as a gift, and the more that that we focus on how we can express that gift in a way that helps our helps ourselves to succeed uh, by helping others uh, to do the same. I mean, that's the project, right? That's that's how the world uh, works. And that's why I have a lot of optimism about what the, the future can be as long as people take that lesson to heart and, and take action. I want to leave you with this quote before I ask you my final question. Um, Friedrich Hayek, a while ago, obviously, said that, quote, we must make the building of a free society once more an intellectual adventure, a deed of courage, end quote. I think this is exactly what you guys are doing. So thank you. And listeners, go check out Believe in People. It's a fantastic read. I've been reading it during finals and it has been so, it, it's been like a little paradise that that comes alongside the grind of school and has kind of given me optimism and hope about the work that I'm doing, even just as I'm doing my homework. Um, so go check it out. Brian, I have one last question for you. What is one thing that you believed at one time in your life that you later changed your position on and why? Well, first off, I have to I have to say thank you for those kind words. You, you chose uh, literally my favorite Hayek quote. And having worked at the Mercatus Center for 14 years, you have to believe me when I tell you I have a list of favorite Hayek quotes. But I think that that idea of uh, the building of a free society being seen as an adventure and the call to action that that Hayek makes in, in calling people to undertake deeds of courage couldn't be more relevant right now. So cheers to you for uh, for pulling that out. And it means a lot to hear uh, to hear that that's what you've taken from the work that we're doing. Um, so you asked me about what, what I, uh, what I believe today that I didn't believe then. Mm -hmm. and, and as I told you before, I think of myself as a lot of things. And one of them is a music lover. And so this is kind of core to who I am. Uh, and, uh, and I will tell you, I lived most of my life believing to my core that there was no redeemable musical quality or value to the Grateful Dead. <laughs> <laughs> And I will, I will, it'll, it'll pain a lot of my, uh, my old, uh, old uh, friends to hear this, but I will admit today that I, I think I was wrong about that. And so every now and then in, uh, in, in my time uh, alone, I will throw in a dead album and actually enjoy it. <laughs> um, well, that said, do you have any music recommendations for us to end the podcast? Oh, we're going to have to have a whole different conversation about that. Maybe, uh, maybe we can get together another time. But in, in all in, in all serious, I mean that, that's a serious answer. And, and for those of you, um, you know, born after 19, 1993, the Grateful Dead is a is a band. Um, but the but the the reason I bring that up is is because I, it actually illustrates a, a a big point of of my learning and my my um, intellectual sort of journey. Um, you know, it's so easy. You know, I grew up in the sort of the indie rock, you know, grunge sort of punk rock scene of the nineteen nineties. And and you had to kind of choose a tribe, right? So if that was who you were, then the the hippie music and the jam bands they just weren't for you. Um, and that's obviously a microcosm of the the larger challenge in society when it comes to the divisions that we see right now. 
Um, but well, look, I'm never going to sort of, you know, see myself as 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 somebody who sort of goes full into that scene. The idea that you open your mind and you see value in the experiences and the ideas that sort of weren't core to your tribe. I think there's just a ton of, of value in that. And so, um, so I would love to give you musical re recommendations, but we'll have to do that another time. But I think the most important takeaway for me from that, uh, that rather ridiculous story is, um, you know, the more that we can look for insights and, and truth in experiences that are not um, comfortable and familiar to us, I think the, the better off we're going to be. Once again, I'd like to thank my guests for their time and insight. And I'd like to thank you for listening to The Great Antidote podcast. The Great Antidote is sound engineered by Rich Goyette. If you have any questions, any guests or topic recommendations, please feel free to reach out to me at thegreatantidote at gmail.com. Thank you.